the COVID-19 uh, event occurrence, no one was ready for it. And now we're all grabbing at individual pieces of what needs to be resolved. And it's a new iteration of the insurance elephant. It's a huge beast. It's all the pieces that have to come together. And that was somewhat the advent of the 10 C's project. What do we need to do as an industry, economy, government, uh, persons, insureds, to anticipate what might be for the next one? This episode of Search With Purpose wouldn't be possible without my day job at Exige International. Exige is an executive search firm providing talent within the Western European market for a whole range of financial services organizations. We, as a group of executives at Exige, believe that recruitment can be done differently. It can be done in a way which serves the needs of both our clients and our candidates, and also the world in which we live. We've committed to not only finding the very best talent available in the world, but also to giving 10% of our search revenue to forest protection charities to ensure that the future generations have these treasures intact and can enjoy them just as we have. So if you'd like to find out more about our work here at Exige, then please do check out our website at exigeinternational.com. That's E-X-I-G-E international.com. Or of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'll be very happy to have a conversation. So welcome to Search With Purpose with myself, William Leighton. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a guest, Patrick Callahan. Patrick is an insurance and customer advocate who has come to the insurance innovation world later in his career, having spent two decades with Allstate Insurance and several years in the US government disaster program. What I love about Patrick is his thinking and unique thinking around a whole range of insurance topics and particularly through his work as the, um, with the, the handle Insurance Elephant, he has brought forward many very interesting ideas and concepts to the thinking relating to problems that we're having out in the world of insurance right now. So it's my great pleasure to welcome to your podcast today from his home in upstate New York, Patrick Callahan. Patrick, how are you? I'm well, Will. And you? I'm very well, it, thank you very much. In your 18-degree weather? Absolutely. I'm sweating here in England. This is this is this is great weather for an Englishman for sure. I'm uh, I'm very happy to get in this sunshine. Um, but I hear it's a little bit more frosty where you are. One degree today in uh, April, upstate New York. Wow. There we go, guys. So, um, well, hope, hope we're keeping warm. Um, so today's conversation, um, Patrick, I'm I'm really excited to have this because I think it's it's going to be touching on a really big and important topic for everybody. It's about insurance in a post-COVID-19 world, the the way as a community, as an industry, that we can come together to solve the problems relating to COVID-19. And I really like the thinking that you've been doing and the group of people that you've been putting together um, to help address this post-COVID-19 world. So in today's conversation, I want to explore those topics, your work as the insurance elephant, the 10 C's model, um, and anything and everything in between. So Patrick, over to you, sir. Please tell us a bit about your work and um, 
how you come at these problems? Yeah, the certainly my day job is with H2M Architects and Engineers, a pretty good sized firm, almost two, 500 persons, uh, you know, dealing with the, the uh, interesting world of engineering. But we also deal with insurance carriers. And, and that was my bridge from insurance into the engineering world. Uh, and as part of that, uh, I began to get involved with insurance, insurtech, innovation, uh, networking, and I realized that uh, the, the wonder of insurance innovation, uh, tech, process, methodology, each each player seemed to have its own his his or her own piece of the the industry as a whole. And to make a long story short, I saw it as the uh, similar to the fable of the six blind men and the elephant. Whether you're grabbing the tail or the leg or the ear, you'd have a different perspective. But I knew in its whole, insurance and innovation is the beast, the whole elephant. And that's how the insurance elephant came about. It was just accidental. And then it became a theme, and then it became an identifier, of the personal brand, whatever you want to call it. But wh why I think it's meaningful for our topic today is uh, the COVID-19 uh, event occurrence. No one was ready for it. And now we're all grabbing at individual pieces of what needs to be resolved. And it's a new iteration of the insurance elephant. It's a huge beast. It's all the pieces that have to come together. And that was somewhat the advent of the 10 C's project. What do we need to do as an industry, economy, government, uh, persons, insureds, to anticipate what might be for the next one? And there, there was the, uh, the the kernel of an idea for the 10 C's project. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. So, so let's explore that. I mean, so you've got a premise, right? That there's um systematic risk within a with within with which has been identified and brought to light with this pandemic. There's a um, a huge global catastrophe unfolding before us, and it's seemingly a, a world which is ill prepared to deal with the the financial consequences um, that relate to a pandemic. And insurance is part of that solution. It has to be part of the solution, but clearly hasn't shown maybe all the leadership it can in being part of that solution. So, yeah, tell me about your thoughts around that and how the sort of the, the premise of your idea came around and the concept that you, you're working on at the moment and the people you're working with. Yeah, well, what really highlighted the problem is, uh, you know, as, as the... Uh, as the outbreak spread across the globe, initially it was not only a health concern, which was the terrible, terrible part of it, but you had supply chain disruption in China, a huge supply chain engine for the, the globe. And that became, began to trickle through. But then as the, the health effects started to go around the globe and it was realized that in order to in, inhibit the spread of the virus, People had to be distanced. They had to stop doing what they're doing, the interactions, and put all the breadcrumb trail together, and it became a shutdown environment for most economies. And as soon as you begin to shut things down, well, of course, commerce ends and uh, production and, and all the economic effects, and it became a multi-trillion-dollar problem. So, uh, you know, insured persons, and I was focusing primarily on small and medium enterprises, the SMEs, said, all right, we we have to close. Our business is very fragile. We live week to week. We have cash flow disruption. And they reached out to their carriers. And, and the carriers knew that a pandemic would not be covered. It's just too big. It's too, it, it's, 
like flood risk on steroids, way, way too large. And it wasn't even an underwriting. It was just a, a stop. And insurers knew it wouldn't be involved. It was exclusions. It was how coverage runs. It, there's even very little reinsurance present in the market, which speaks very loudly back through the insurance chain that it's not an expected risk to even slice and dice the risk sharing with. So uh, that huge coverage gap of business interruption, and it's every every economy, um, has significant effects, as we all know. So what, what do we do? Well, the government says, well, the insurers should pay for it. Well, that would bankrupt the industry, not just the, the carriers. It would bankrupt the industry. But is there a, a, a response mechanism that, that would be able to deal with the breadth of the, the, the economic loss? Well, sure there is. Governments can print as much money as they want. But it takes so long for that effect to reach the market. And you can't do that from the top down. You have to get those funds out from the bottom up. It takes so long and it takes political will and it, all that. And there's the, the real 10 C's project was, how do we get all these parties to collaborate in anticipation of the next pandemic? Because there will be one, unquestionably. How, how can we anticipate it? And it can't be just money. It's got to be all right, how can we analyze the factors that make this happen? Starting from in December, if we look backwards, the, the little triggers that might have been detected in the supply chain or you know, people not working and people getting sick, and then the cascading effects. And we humans are smart, but we're not as smart as aggregating all the data and then anticipating what effects there might be through artificial intelligence or machine learning. And then governments can respond, but they're they're ill they're ill suited to do it quickly, and they're ill suited to do it in any way other than a political way. You do have a ten C's um, methodology that you guys have created, um, and I'll say who these guys are in a moment. You, you'll you'll sort of talk to us about the group that you're working with. But could you just introduce the ten C's methodology to us, please? Sure, the, the ten C's are are somewhat the uh, the insurance elephant for a systemic risk in in a, a framework that could be used to plan for the next one, uh, engaging all these parties. So num number one C is the concept. There's a concept to this, which is the whole broad thing in and of itself. Cover is the next C. What, what would be covered? Uh, Steve Evans from Artemis told me early on, it's all well and good to get capital markets involved, but you have to know what you're getting covered in order for any of the other pieces to fall together. So he's a smart guy. Uh, the catastrophe, what's what's going to trigger that cover in a, in a parametric sense? Uh, capacity, is there enough uh, capital capacity to be able to hand this or, or a combination with government capacity? Uh, can it be adapted to a captive's insurance system? There are captives working now that uh, deal with much, obviously much smaller pieces. Capital markets, get them engaged in helping uh, finance and hedge the financing of this reinsurance, uh, ILS, uh, catastrophe bonds, et cetera. Uh, collaboration is a big, a big C. All the partners have to be working towards, you know, a, a common goal on being able to re respond to a, the next pandemic. Continuity of effort. Uh, if you have government involved, there are changes in, 
administrations, there's changes in priorities. There's got to be a way to have continuity of focus, funding, and administration of this with all the other parties. Uh, collection, how does it get paid out if there's the trigger? You know, is, is it going to be with a uh, tied in with a distributed ledger or blockchain, some other method that's just as soon as it happens, the money gets to the street. Mm. And then contribution, who's helping to pay for it? It's another big one. So there are the 10 C's, the, the general framework. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I'd like to sort of get back to sort of part of the, the early premise, actually. And this is where we mm-hmm. um, maybe we part of started part of our early discussions a, what, a couple of weeks back. Um that we've identified at the moment that the industry is very much set up on this sort of indemnity insurance model. And it really is proving inadequate to deal with the type of systemic risk that we're facing with COVID-19. It's just too hard, seemingly, for insurers to go through the process of actually measuring the damage that's being caused to companies in a in a timely fashion that will actually get the funds to them that's going to absolutely materially help their business before they go out of business. And so we have talked about these parametric triggers being part of um, that solution. So let's talk about that. I mean, the idea of the parametric being a solution for this. And, you know, we we kind of briefly touched on in through those 10 C's, some of the the types of things that we would be instruments that you could be using to create that. So let's explore this a little bit more and maybe just sort of, for those of you who aren't you know, aware of like the sort of indemnity model versus parametrics, um, tell us about your thoughts with that, Patrick. Sure. And the, the traditional insurance model is indemnity based. A claim occurs, uh, the, the terms of a policy are met, the insured proves the, the loss, and then the insurer pays the loss. But it, it's in a business interruption sense, uh, proving business interruption loss, it's, it's not like a tree hitting your roof. It's, it's a, an accumulated loss over time. You could project it, but how do you prove it? What is it? Is it cash flow loss? Is it loss of net profits? Is it loss of gross profits? Is it an accumulation of unpaid bills? Having to adjudicate all of those claims, and, and there might be tens of millions of them, would would be so overwhelming to the insurance industry if everybody had business interruption insurance. In the indemnity model, to prove all of that, uh, I can't even imagine the administrative uh, craziness. But if it's a parametric model where the agreement in the in the insurance contract says, oh, if if X occurs and it's at this extent, there will be an amount that's immediately paid. For example, for pand- uh, for COVID-19, if a trigger was, if there are 500,000 persons globally who have been confirmed as uh, having the virus by a, an authoritative uh uh, organization, then an amount will get paid to those who have the contract. It could also be broken down into various tranches. Say, for example, if 20% of the supply chain for industry X or for transportation is disrupted and it can be proven, then the person's holding a policy for that part of it would be paid. Mm. It, some of there there are there are right now uh, parametric. Uh, pandemic models, the uh, 
the World Economic Fund has it, but it was the, the trigger is number of deaths. You know, if you hit a certain number of deaths, and then there's a next index, and and it that that's a well, this is Pat speaking personally. That's a crazy trigger to to, to hinge something on, on on people dying as opposed to the effects. So parametric pays based on a trigger, no question. Indemnity, you have to f- prove your case. It does feel and. Yeah, I'm sorry. To, it does does it does feel like when when we talk about these parametric triggers and with the mm-hmm. um, the the number of deaths trigger, for example, that was that was utilised, um, mm-hmm. that that it is a bit of a blunt instrument. Instrument. I mean, you know, it does feel like maybe these triggers were created in a world that wasn't really as advanced as we are now, or thinking about parametric insurance in the way that so many insure techs are, um, and and there just seems to be so much innovation now about the way that we can link um, certain outcomes, certain instances, measurements to the activation of an insurance policy. I mean, I can think of some, you know, some very interesting insure techs who are doing this, you know, for example, dealing with flood, um, mm-hmm. flood risk. And there's, there's a company in the UK called um, Flood Flash where... Yeah, great folks. Yeah, they're, right. they're really innovative. Exactly. And, they, and they've thought about this instant. Well, yes, normally the normal model would be indemnity, right? You've got to get a, a loss adjuster around to your house, you know, measure, you know, look at the cost of your floor, your carpets, your kitchen, your doors, all of that stuff. I mean, there's huge cost, huge time, huge disruption. Or, as they've done, you know, install that piece of that, that smart uh, sensor outside of the house. As soon as the water reaches a certain level, it triggers um, the, the payout. And it could be the money can be with you uh, within only a couple of days. Um, and that's the type of solutions I can think of in this parametric, this sort of post-COVID-19 world where parametric solutions are going to come into the into the play. Um, I mean, I personally could see things where maybe they're using, you know, aerial satellite photography to work out the footfall in a certain city to know whether or not a cafe should have its parametric pandemic trigger pull, triggered, which may just not be only that. It could also be the the, the World Health Organization has to also announce a pandemic, so it could be multi-layered, but within, but with triggers that are simple and simple to understand, mm-hmm. seem to have a direct correlation to what the customer would see as being um, relevant and reasonable. So, what are your thoughts on these on these triggers and the triggers that could be used? Well, a, a possible for again, I, I step back and look at initially the supply chain disruption, and with the advent of uh, satellite communication on vehicles and, and such, and we work in a just-in-time supply environment across the globe. Mm. There, there's a predicted or a, a predictable model of how things get from factory A to a shipping point and then such. Aggregating those data, and if a trigger hits where the overall flow of material becomes outside of say three or four sigma standard deviation it might trigger an economic parametric because there's going to be a delay in walmart putting the goods to the shelf and it's going to affect sales now this is just one tiny little piece but it's a piece that has to be looked at Mm -hmm. uh you know maersk has great uh innovative ways of tracking their shipping uh, across the ocean. Putting all these pieces together, putting AI to work to detecting in retrospect of what started in December in Hubei province and ends up in New York City 
with 10,000 people who are sick and every all the business is closed. There are pieces that fall into place there. And when you understand what the piece, how the pieces fall, you can begin to determine what were the key factors that would trigger either economic or health or societal disruption. It's a huge project that's underway, but unless it starts, you can't identify the triggers. You have to go back to all the little pieces. Uh, it's easy to say uh, in the U.S. or U.K., uh, yeah, all these businesses closed, their revenues fell by 50%, and that's the trigger. That's the, the easy economic trigger. Or the trigger is mm. the government says you have to close your business. And if that's the simple trigger, great. Uh, it, it's easy. It's it's uh, authoritative. It's measurable. But do you take the big piece or do you try to understand all the little pieces that go together to create that big piece? There's and, and when you can do that, now you can start to anticipate what should we do or have in place to mitigate those effects and try to uh, make the trigger not happen. There's the crazy thought. I can see when we start talking about parametric insurance, once you kind of demystify mm -hmm. it, you can see this mm -hmm. this yawning gap for innovation that um, will be filled either by the incumbents or by um, by insure techs or startups. Um, it's got to be all of them. Yes, it's got to be all of them. Really? Yeah, I think that comes to a nice area. The, the point, your point on collaboration, I, I agree with you, and I think this mm -hmm. is this is a great moment in the insurance industry for collaboration. Um, it's a great moment for humanity, frankly, for 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 collaboration, but also in solving the COVID world. Now, there's a couple of tracks we can follow here together, which I would like to go with you. One is about maybe kind of retrospectively looking at what the insurance industry's reaction to COVID has been. And, Good, bad, ugly. We can we can discuss that, um, but then also to look at sort of forward thinking and what are the solutions we're going to need to put together because I know we've had a few interesting conversations about the capacity that's going to be needed in the industry to create that. And since we spoke only a couple of weeks ago about this initially, um, it seems like more and more people are coming online with this now, looking at ways that funds could be created, um, either at the sort of the supranational level. Um, mm -hmm. So. Um, let, let's take that one of two ways. Um, so let's talk about the, um, so we've talked about the parametric trigger. So let's follow the the idea of the capacity that's going to be needed first. So yeah, what are your thoughts around the sort of the capacity the industry needs to create? Well, the capacity, we'd like to say it's, it's $2 trillion because that's what we're estimating the loss is. But if if uh, and this is a piece that you and I hadn't necessarily discussed, but I pondered, if if the uh, countries had available uh, resources for protecting the population, personal protective equipment, ventilators, capacity in hospitals, uh, the ability to react promptly, not having to wait for these things, would it lessen the extent? the breadth and depth of the problem. So what the capacity is, is going to be affected by how are we planning the next one? If you understand what I'm saying. I do, absolutely, yes. It, yes. It, that, that's a key piece that I thought, well, we really need to not have two months between when we knew it was going to be a problem and when we reacted to it. But the insurance world kind of knew this was coming because they're, they're smart folks mm -hmm. and they're risk uh, predictors and the the, the big uh, 
risk modelers see things going and, and they have a, a touch on factors that are happening. So it's certain that in December, the, the big carriers were saying, huh, this is coming. How's it going to affect, you know, they, they put the, the think tanks to work. How's this going to affect what we're doing? Well, it's not physical damage per se. So the, the, the direct damage cover uh, doesn't look like it's going to be involved. And, and we've excluded that from uh, coverage. There, there's not a, a physical damage to worry about, but what's the biggest effect? It's going to be disruption to business. Oh, let's look at our business interruption coverage. Oh, yeah, we've already set that up. There's, if there's no physical damage, it's not a covered loss. We've excluded it from cover. We're going to be okay because we're not. we don't have an exposure. And, and I'm not saying insurance companies are bad folks or anything. They're looking out for their business. But you know that was happening in December, January, February. What steps, though, did the insurance world take to help the business insurance understand what was coming? You, you can't necessarily hide from it, although that was kind of the thing. But is there a fear if you speak up that there will be litigation, that you know uh, things will happen? So what's the exposure? Um, people kind of knew what the exposure was, but we weren't ready to react to it because pan pandemic is such a huge systemic risk that nobody really put a number on it. Mm. We're kind of looking backwards. So if you, you, you did, you, you have kind of posited within the, the 10 C's, um, document though, that you believe there'd be something like a, a 500 billion fund needed, right? That was one of the right. Yeah, if, if we and if I focus on the on the U.S. right now and we look at the small medium enterprises and you could do the math for any country, if there's 15 million businesses that could be insured for business interruption and each of them or say 25 million, whatever number you want to use it, and each of them is insured for 25,000 in a parametric basis, it's going to be somewhere between 500 billion and 750 billion could be as high as a trillion. So how do you anticipate setting that up? The best way, you know, it's, it's going to be guesswork, Will, as you know. Yeah. But if if we start now and we say everybody contributes towards it that has a uh, insurance policy, the government participates and they say somebody contributes, uh, you know, five trillion or five billion a month for 12 months over eight years, you're going to accumulate $500 billion. That's the power of compound interest. So if you're planning out in eight years, maybe our pandemic that needs 500 billion. Okay. But what if it happens next year? Where's the backstop for not having 500 billion? Well, that's got to be a, a government or, or you know, reinsurance, ILS, capital markets with backstopping by a government. It, it would be a sliding uh, or evolving fund basis for this. But you, right now, we know that the U.S. had $350 billion in its paycheck protection plan that was exhausted in two weeks. Two weeks with a lot of capacity left. But are those dollars really zero basis dollars? Or if you put $500 billion into the street 
And the velocity of money says, oh, for every dollar you put out there, it's going to be spent 1.4 times. Now you've got 700 billion of worth of effect out there. Mm. It's It really is a crazy thing to think about. Get the money out in the street promptly and it's going to move. So you set the you set the number out there, call it 500 billion, call it 600 billion, call it whatever you want, but get it done. Uh, the suggestion that the uh, a pandemic... Uh, risk insurance fund would be set up like the terrorism risk insurance fund that that's traditional thinking putting it all in the government uh, having the burden of how do you distribute it how do you administer it it's 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 a great idea but it, it just it's fraught with administrative difficulties because it's political i think we i think we could we're kind of touching on a couple of very interesting yeah. um, topics here around the power of this the power the, the the job that in the insurance could be doing insurance industry could be doing because we talked about the velocity of money out on the street and you know i think many if you're a business owner say listening to this who is kind of new to insurance you may be hearing like parametric and capacity and funding you think all you're thinking is right i've got a policy i'm paying money into I've got, I've got bills, I've got rent, I've got a family to look after. When am I getting my money? All right, and I want to be able to understand the policy that I buy in a very straightforward way. That when this type of incident hits, I will be covered. And that velocity of money that you talked about, I think, is such an interesting topic. And up until this point, we've been relying on the banks to deal with the problem. Banks to go out and write loans um, you know, to do the assessment, do the, the, the customer assessment, look at business um, counts, look at sort of cash flow projections, then do a sort of a, a, a risk assessment and then make the payout. I mean, it's proving to be a nightmare. I can tell you of many business owners that I know, small business owners who are like pulling their hair out with the system. And then they're only showing us in the low single digit percentile that they're actually being granted loans. Whereas Insurance, on the other hand, is very much set up to make payments to clients if they have the policy and wording in the right way. So I think this velocity of payment is a very interesting topic that you raise and the way that parametric insurance could be the solution to that. Um, so I, I've, got to, I've got to say that and that then links me back into this idea about where the insurance industry is right now and why maybe this is kind of a, a very difficult conversation for us to have. And one that I'm finding very difficult to have with anybody in, in, in the industry is why has the insurance industry seemingly been gone so quiet? Why aren't they showing leadership right now? Because if they don't show leadership in helping businesses in showing forward the sorts of solutions, then they're going to be considered the bankers of the global financial crisis back in 2008, 2009 uh, and be tarnished in that same way. So what are your thoughts to that? Why do you think, the insurance industry is being so quiet and is showing this sort of as hiding from addressing customer needs, as we put it, in, in sort of dealing with this. Yeah, uh, it's it's human nature. If, if you identify a problem, but you don't have a solution for it, then you're identified with the problem, aren't you? Mm -hmm. So the, the carriers, after after a while, started to get an idea that they needed to do positive things. And I'll kind of work backwards to your question. For example, if, if Chubb um, said, all right, we're going to contribute $10 million, and they did, uh, to a fund to help 
mitigate the effects of the the pandemic, that's great. Or the the PNC carriers that are rebating uh, premiums, they they're getting the message that they need to start to take control of the uh, the dialogue in the market. Mm. But early on, when they were saying nothing, but they knew the problem was coming, and the first indication that something was going to happen started to come from government, where legislators said, huh, these people are getting their claims denied. We feel the insurance companies should be paying for this, as opposed to the insurance companies taking the lead saying, this is a a horrible problem. We recognize it's a problem. Here's how the insurance world works. We know it's too big for us to handle on a traditional basis, but here's an alternative. We're going to team up. We're going to communicate. We're going to create some type of fund to support something. We're going to offer administrative services to the government for distribution purposes. We're going to do something, but they did not control the dialogue. They, and when you sit back and you've got cash reserves in your bank account that are five or six hundred billion across and again i'm talking u.s it's easy for a congressman to say look you've got half a trillion dollars sitting in the bank pay that out it's the right thing to do but the insurance world didn't say if we do that it's going to compromise every other line of cover that we have Mm -hmm. and cause the industry to clap they missed the chance to control the message. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you and, more on that. That that control of the narrative is is such mm-hmm. an important aspect to consider. And by no means am I saying that the insurance industry should have just paid out and taken the fall for for COVID nineteen. Oh, it would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, any modern economy is built on the premise that that if you have great insurance, then then innovators and pioneers can go and take more risks. That's how it started back back in the coffee houses um, of Lloyd's of London, right? This, this mm-hmm. idea sure. that the insurance was about enabling pioneers to go and take risks out in the world. So, you know, nobody's arguing with the importance of insurance. I think it's that idea of, of like you've said, it's like controlling being part of the narrative solution. And I think it's such an interesting, it's an interesting position that the insurance industry could could play maybe early on to have said, um, you know, look, we've got these business interruption policies. Pandemic cover is not listed in as one of the conditions in which we'll pay out. We can't, um, but we've got this, you know, let's just throw a number out. We've got 300 or uh, 200 billions worth of, of, of coverage to pay out across all these different insurers. If the government steps in and offers to underwrite um, those policies, we can distribute those funds in a matter of days to those organizations. I mean, that would have been really exciting leadership and I think a really great way to potentially alleviate the suffering of their customers. Um, I wonder if that's going to happen in some way, shape or form. I mean, in the UK, I can tell you this, Patrick, that you know the, 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 the COVID business interruption loan system is being distributed via banks. Um, and the way it works here is that 80% of the the risk is going to be covered by the government and the other 20% will be put onto the balance sheet of the banks. Now, what that means is happening in real life is the banks are still being very, very slow because they still don't even want that 20%. So now the government are talking about covering 100% of the risk to get those funds moving. Now, 
wouldn't it have been interesting leadership, not only from insurers, but also from government to think about just doing that same thing, but saying to insurers, we'll cover 100% of your risk. Pay it out. Let's get the economy moving. Let's get that velocity of funds into the hands of business owners. Um, that would have been a great solution for where we are now. But, you know, what, let's look ahead to the future now <laughs> and say, you know, parametric um, triggers has to play a part in it, right? Has to play a part in it. Yeah, let contrast, uh, again, the UK loan program doesn't sound dis, dissimilar to the US, but even even a uh, the Paycheck Protection Program said, you know, file for eight weeks worth of pay to keep your employees on. The government will, uh, if you show that you've kept the employees on, will forgive you for that entire amount. That's a great plan, except the Treasury Department and the Small Business Administration were ill-prepared to administer a program like that. So the banks were ready, but the program wasn't. And then it was fits and starts. So th there was such a, a an unexpected uh, result from a pandemic that there wasn't a, a any kind of shell of a plan. It, the crazy thing in, in the world is that there wasn't a parametric pandemic plan available through Marsh and, and Munich Re that they couldn't sell to anybody. Yeah, there wasn't a big capacity on it, but it's so outside of our thinking yes. to have such a thing occur. But what's wrong with recognizing without casting stones that governments are ill-prepared and inefficient in distributing things promptly? Mm -hmm. Insurance companies are well-prepared, as you say, to to process payments, their information and money. Right. So your your suggestion that the insurance companies be the the paying vehicle for money that is backstopped by the government is right on point. It's it's one of those. All right, no no harm, no foul. We recognize we get the money out. Boom, it's done in a few weeks, and it's just everybody. Uh, but we don't have that now. <laughs> that that's just a, it, it's a, it's a great idea for the next time. It's part of the ten C's. You're on board. You're hired. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and I, think, I think this brings us to an interesting sort of next kind of um, next phase of our conversation, really, which is about collaboration. And, you know, the reason I'm you know, really excited to be working in the insurance industry right where we are now is there's, there's this really exciting moment, you know, pre-COVID-19, but I think post-COVID-19, where um, there is innovation happening. There is, you know, this whole raft of new insure techs coming to, into the industry there's the old legacy insurance firms with with capital and desire to um innovate and change there's these insure techs creating fermenting change um and that's kind of mixing into this really kind of rich ecosystem um and i think also maybe a culture in insurance of more open collaboration i don't want to sound um, too idealistic about it but i do think that's probably my own experience of the insurance industry so and i think we touched on this earlier so you know collaboration because nobody's no one organization is going to have the solution for this so like how have you approached collaboration and what are your thoughts on collaboration in the industry and what have you seen well first off there has to be a recognition that no matter what goes forward with insurance parametric programs whatever it can't take care of the entire problem it can't take care of the the uh, the huge amounts for governments, you know, states, uh, provinces, uh, regions, whatever. You have to choose what piece is a best fit to approach for everybody. So if you focus on, for example, SMEs, uh, it, it's it's a 
fairly predictable piece. And if, and I'm not saying this is what you're doing, but if you're focusing on SMEs and you're focusing on the outcome is going to be a parametric, uh, and it happened tomorrow, what would we need to have in place? Well, we'd need government backstopping for sure. We'd need a distribution method. We'd need to know who's getting it. Uh, we would need to have uh, the insurance world who knows this well to be a piece of it. Obviously, the insureds would want comfort that there's something in their insurance plan that would reimburse them. The carriers would need to know that, yes, we're great at this, but we're not going to get financially whacked. The capital markets would need to see this is a great way for us to get into alternate risk financing where we can make some money with the chance that at some point if a pandemic happens that perhaps you know the principal gets uh, lost to some degree but there's a way to make money and, and in a negative interest world capital markets want to be part of it and then once it's it's out there that now you can begin to slice and dice the the risk so that it's hedged properly that nobody's taking the full hit and certainly governments if they understand right now they understand we're on the hook for trillions of dollars. We're the only source of money. Huh. In this new world that's being planned, whether it's the 10 Cs project or something else, we're the backstop for a bunch of other people getting involved. We've got the private industry involved, and there's a profit motive to it, so that's going to be a little more effective than what a government does. And the government's there as the safety net, mm. as opposed to right now, no matter what, the government's on the hook. We could continue doing that with a PRIA or any other plan. Same thing will happen. In five years, the government's going to be on the hook, all the governments. There's, there's a better way. And that's collaboration, getting smart people, profit motives, uh, expert at what they do, preparing for it and continuing to update what that plan is all things that we don't have right now mm. well i think i hope i hope the listeners have would agree that i think we've done a pretty good job of identifying the problem <laughs> some of the, yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. Where it's coming from but um you know you and i are here trying to solve problems as well so yes um how how can anybody listening to this um, help you solve this problem. What may you can explore this however you want. The, the solution that you have in mind, the solution that you're working towards, any industry actors who can help you solve that solution. Um, let, let's talk about that. What, what could we What could we do together? Well, there are collaborators that I've identified uh, or have reached out. Really smart people. Uh, Dr. Marcus Schmalbach of RiskX. His his firm is expert at uh, parametric design and a project they're working on is intangible asset valuations. Yeah. And I don't want to get into that. That's a whole nother we put a link discussion. Yeah. We yeah. yeah. <laughs> but his, his premise of his company is there are alternate ways to finance things and there are alternate ways to look at what the risk is. So there's a, a framework that can work through there. Also really smart data companies, uh, artificial intelligence experts like CareBridge International, IntellectSeq, uh, Paper Crane, uh, and there are others. People that do this and have the data lakes available have the capacity to attack these enormous problems through AI 
And of course, AI is not perfect. It might spit out some crazy stuff. But if it identifies one little piece, it's going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, there, there are, I, I don't know all the companies in the world. I would say if there's any persons who are interested in participating or have ideas, and they could be academicians. Uh, there's a fine professor out of Butler University in the U.S. who's, uh, you know, dug into this. And, and unfortunately, his name will escape me because I'm... <laughs> Great-haired and all that stuff. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of podcasting. We can put we can put the memory in the notes later. On. Exactly. Uh, oh, Zachary Zachary Finn is the gentleman's name. There he is. Uh, all right. So you know he's he's talking about the PRIA. He and I have had some discussion. So if, if people are interested, I, I'm available through uh, social media, um, LinkedIn, Patrick Callahan. That's simple enough. Search for me. Uh, in in Twitter, it's uh, in insurance elf e l e p h one. But if you search for my name, it's in there. Uh, I'm constantly discussing these things. The, the 10 C's framework is available on my uh, uh, my profiles. So this is a, a problem that will be best solved through a diverse set of suggestions. All right. But right now, I'll give you an example of what direction I see the industry going. Some, some great folks in the reinsurance world met this week in, in London and are talking about establishing a fund through Pool Re uh, for the next pandemic. Well, that's all well and good, but that's where we've always been. It, it doesn't it doesn't start from this the beginning, anticipating removing some of the risk, anticipating the risk, being prepared. It's only a indemnity or response model through the reinsurance world. Uh, great folks, I, I really encourage them uh, to do great things, but. This needs to be shaken up and it's got to be looked at differently if if we don't want a multi-trillion dollar problem the next time it happens. Absolutely. Um, I What I will be doing is putting this onto the Search of Purpose um, channel that I have as well. So you can reach out to mm-hmm. me via um, uh, LinkedIn and through YouTube and a number of other social media outlets. I'm sure you can find us. If you can't, then you need some serious help with computers. Uh, but I mean, the, the 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 main thrust of your point there, Patrick, which I couldn't agree with more, is the idea that any actors out there in the insurance industry who feel that they could be part of a solution or want to join in the conversation, please do, because there's absolutely no way we can solve this um, you know, in just one person, one organization, you know, it's got to be a collaborative process. And I'm sure I know, like you've mentioned, some of those fantastic you know, data firms in this space, there are others as well, who I think mm-hmm. do some really excellent work around the types of data, um, types of triggers that could be used to solve a whole range of different scenarios mm-hmm. in terms of pandemic coverage. So- and Will, I'm going to shamelessly put out there that, um, Right now, this is a vocational effort on the parts of the people involved. Mm. Uh, if there are if there are interested companies looking to fund this project for research, it's not it's not like a ten million dollar thing, but this needs attention now from people who do this for a living, mm. and you can't supplant doing it for a living with doing it as a vocation. Yeah. 
it, be more it, it, that, Patrick. Yes. You need you need some money with some pockets. I need yeah. some money with some pockets. Exactly. <laughs> you need somebody <laughs> to step forward and and help yeah. you know fund the the project work that you're doing. And, and you are currently. And let's explain it. You're in a some a group of people at the moment, right, Patrick? It's yourself and some others who are working around yes. this problem in a, as you said, a sort of a. Um, you're doing it in your spare time type initiative right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those individuals. You, you guys are forming under a group, right? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, the, the group is the uh, the 10Cs project. It, it'll probably be umbrellaed under Risk Uh We've started a website, which should be out, uh, but uh, Dr. Marcus Schmalbach of Risk X, uh, uh, Renu Ann Joseph of uh, Luminate Analytics, that's another AI firm, uh, Chris Franklin of uh, Carebridge International, Lakshan De Silva of IntellectSeq, uh, my good friend Thomas Verdusco Weisel uh, in Germany, and I don't want to forget anybody. You have been a great advocate for it. So, uh, Exige, and I don't even know how to say that the, the so, uh, firm. I'll, I'll step in and say Exige. There we go. Uh, Exige International. Is, <laughs> you, you've been a great uh, uh, mouthpiece for this, uh, and, and whoever else, H2M, of course, is supportive. But uh, having the great ideas. It's still a, an economic world. You know, we, we need to get a little bit of funding to make it go. Absolutely. And I, I think there's no shame in asking for that. I think um, the minds that you've all just you've just outlined are some fantastic organizations in there. Um, <laughs> in any way that I am being part of that is just to, to advocate for the concept that, um, you know, as, as, a, as a species, as a, as a society, we absolutely have to come together in these times of um, difficulty, frankly. And, and, you know, as we see these these fracturing of, of society through the, um, to the tragedy of pandemics, you know, the best of humanity is best of local communities is how they come together and they renew the bonds, which are otherwise going to be fraught and pulled and strained. So, um, you know, if, if anything that can happen from all of this is that the insurance industry, a whole group of all the people you just meant can come together, collaborate, show leadership, um, or we're already seeing that fantastic. So yeah, anybody who can help, anybody who wants to get involved just intellectually, but anybody who has the capital or is interested in discussing it further, please do reach out. You can drop us an email, myself, um, william at exigeinternational.com. Um, Patrick, giving you a few handles, there'll be some in the show notes as well. Um, and please help the way you can. Well, um, I think that draws us to a to a stage of in the conversation, which is uh, a natural end. I'd like to thank you, Patrick, very much for your contribution today. Um, it's been great talking to you again and hearing the work that you're doing. Um, so thank you very much for all the effort you're making. You're welcome, and your uh, making this a forum within which we can discuss this is is you know beyond compare with others. Uh, so thank you very much for for being this important part. And, and don't be surprised if you're not an important part going forward. Uh, thank you. Whether you like whether you like it or not. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, thank you very much for listeners as well. Um, I've been William Layton and, and it's been fantastic um, joining. Thank you for joining us here on this episode of Search for Purpose. Bye now. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. 
We also have a newsletter on our website, talentequals.com, so you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.